a morning vaporetto ferries passengers across the lagoon in the Italian city of Venice. It is in this UNESCO World Heritage City where we start the 60th birthday celebrations of Europa Nostra, a pan-European organization which promotes, protects and celebrates cultural heritage across the entire continent. I'm John Beecham from Free Range Productions in Warsaw, Poland. I was very kindly invited by Europa Nostra to the European Cultural Heritage Summit in September 2023 to meet a whole spectrum of stakeholders who, as a whole, are driving the cultural heritage agenda across Europe. Along with my guests, in this special podcast series, I will be exploring the past, present and future of Europa Nostra as it enters its seventh decade. Europa Nostra at 60, episode one, the past. Europa Nostra is a federation of heritage NGOs across the European continent. It was founded in 1963 and today it is recognized as the largest and most representative heritage network in Europe, present in over 40 countries. The day-to-day -day running of Europa Nostra is undertaken by its secretary-general, Sneska Kvetflich Mihailovic, who recalls how the Maastricht Treaty was a turning point for Europa Nostra as they finally had an institutional partner, the European Union. Gradual strengthening of the recognition of the importance of cultural heritage by the European Union. Because it is only in 1993, with the Maastricht Treaty of the European Union, that finally the European Union got a certain competence, the so-called complementary competence in the field of culture. And that means, of course, not taking over from member states, but supporting the work and the policies and action of member states at different level of governments. So it is exactly 30 years ago. And it is at that moment that especially when we started advocating that 60 years ago, in 1963, we, we were convinced that we can't build Europe only on the basis of economy, on the basis of the market, that the foundation of the European project is that history and heritage that we share. And for that reason, we need and Europe needs to invest more in protection of cultural heritage also as something that brings us Europeans together. And we have that sense of belonging to the wider European community. But it is indeed the very first European cultural forum that European Union organized was, was organized in 2000. And from then on, there is a sort of bringing together of all the various voices, all the various organizations, and we have been very much leading the heritage part of it. Because, of course, the art field as well and, and creative industries, they also came together. But Europa Nostra was definitely the organization that, that was federating 
and really animating uh, that network and translating the messages of that network of civil society organization towards the European institutions. Even though the European Union remains a key partner, in fact, it is another European institution that has been tied to Europa Nostra since its very inception. Luisella Pavan-Wolf is the director of the Council of Europe office in Venice. Well, I think that the Council of Europe has had uh, special links with Europa Nostra from the very beginning. From that day in 1963, when Europa Nostra was uh, set up, this happened in the office of the Council of Europe in Paris. I think that this tells us something, tells us of a special relationship in between the Council of Europe and uh, with the organization which was to become the largest uh, NGO in Europe to defend, uh, uh, set up to defend, protect, uh, lobby for uh, our common cultural heritage. Lydia Caras is a council member of Europa Nostra and the president of Heliniki Etaria, Society for the Environment and Cultural Heritage, a Greek organization which promotes the protection of cultural heritage. She founded the organization in the early 1970s with her husband Costa Caras, who also played a key role in Europa Nostra, as Lydia explains. My relationship with Europa Nostra is a very long one. We used to live in London with my husband, Costa, who, after we created the local organization, Elinikieteria for Protection and Heritage and Environment, exactly 50 years ago, we celebrated it in Athens uh, a few days ago. We wanted to see what else is happening in Europe, and so um, that's how we encountered people of Europa Nostra. We started from then on a very close collaboration because... My husband, very early on, became vice president, you know, as one of the young vice presidents. And he remained like this for many years, I think for more than 30 years, vice president. And so Europa Nostra was in our life. And very quickly it became very important also in the life of the Greek Association. And we uh, constantly exchanged views and uh, ideas. Andrula Vassilio needs little introduction. She is a former European Commissioner for Culture, among other things. She recounts how she first came across Europa Nostra. I used to be European Commissioner for first health and then education and culture. And that's how I got really to know Europa Nostra. I knew about Europa Nostra before because I attended some local ceremonies in Cyprus for the award, the winners of the awards. So I knew that they were giving these awards, but nothing else. But during my mandate as commissioner, I got to know Europa Nostra and its work very well because we were supporting them and they were supporting us as well. So it was a, a nice close cooperation. Thanks to the Lisbon Treaty in 2007, the European Union took a greater interest in cultural heritage, 
But it wasn't easy to raise awareness on cultural heritage within the EU structures, as Andrula Vasiliou explains. Well, you know that um, under culture, the Creative Europe program, we support different organizations who promote culture and cultural heritage. And it is under the Lisbon Treaty that uh, both culture and cultural heritage have to be supported and promoted. So it was difficult in the beginning because my fellow commissioners and all the rest, with the exception of the parliament, I would say, they were not very understanding of what is the value of cultural heritage in Europe because they were giving prominence more in the economic field, in the trade, etc. So finally, in 2014, we managed to have our first EU communication on cultural heritage. And that was the really beginning of the European Union initiatives on cultural heritage. So after my mandate, of course, I got to know so much the work of Europa Nostra that I became an active member of Europa Nostra. I was elected member of the council and uh, as a vice president. And since then, I'm working with them very closely. First of all, my wife and I, we always liked to travel around, and when you travel around, you see in particular also cultural heritage. We're not the big goers to the beach, etc. we rather go to the castles, cathedrals, and God knows what. Guy Klos so is now the executive vice president of Europa Nostra. While he was working at the European Investment Bank Institute, he was looking for ways to boost regional development. When he was given the green light, he became the co-founder of the Seven Most Endangered Programme, one of the key activities of Europa Nostra. It was in 2012, early 2013. I was still working at the EIB and I read an article about a British foundation working in Albania on some archaeological uh, excavations and doing it in a way to bring in the people either for doing the excavations, later on, as tourist guides, etc. And I thought in terms of regional development, that's a nice way to combine regional development and cultural heritage. And so I went to the then head of the institute and said, listen, that's something we could try because regional development is one of the top priorities of EIB, always in that uh, time at least. And so he said, well, fine, try it, which is then the question, try with whom and how? And somebody told me about Europa Nostra. I'd never heard about them. I said, why don't you try with them? So I wrote to Sneska and in a sense, well, could we once meet and see if there's something to be done? And that is the origins of it. We met after the holidays then. That was then in uh, 2000, yeah, probably 12. And we met and decided, yes, we launched these seven most endangered, seven because it's kind of a semi-biblical figure, uh, the week has seven days, etc., and launched it, and the first projects were announced in 2013. And since then, it has been working either on an annual or biannual basis, according to the years, and has been working. So right now, we are at 56 projects in, I think, 32 countries. If it's not 32, it's 31, but... Uh, okay, and it, it works, I must say, 
better than I expected if you take the fact that the seven most endangered is projects which are in a bad shape. Otherwise, they would not fit into it. And so you would expect that very often you lose the case. And we do lose it sometimes, but less clearly less often than I would have initially thought. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Proszę Państwa, 4 czerwca 1989 roku skończył się w Polsce komunizm. Good evening. The deposed president of Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu, is dead. One of the crucial times in the development of Europa Nostra was the fall of communism, starting from 1989, and the opportunity for countries of the former East to be accepted back into the family of free European nations. Professor Jacek Purchla is a vice president of Europa Nostra and formerly a long-term director of the International Cultural Center in Kraków, Poland. He explains the beginnings of the ICC's activity on a European level and how Europa Nostra has become what he calls a bridge which unites Europe. No doubt that it was a very romantic time, the collapse of communism and the end of the Cold War, reunification of the continent and the International Culture Center as a child of this new era with this conviction and mission to start a dialogue. Culture heritage is a perfect way to discover the neighbor and to present yourself in front of European community. And it was not a coincidence that 1990 pretty early, I was privileged enough to participate as one of the first so-called East Europeans at the annual conference of Europa Nostra those days in the Netherlands, in Holland, in Utrecht. And it is the beginning of the story. I understand that we, coming from the East, used to be considered as quite exotic participants, but also the hope and the future. And I think that 30 years after, more than 30 years after, we can prove and say that uh, Europa Nostra at the moment is bridging the nations between Portugal and Caucasus and is so different comparing Europa Nostra I discovered 1990 just focused and, uh, how shall I put it, consisted of the representative of just five, six, seven Western European countries. So now I understand that we can really speak as Europa Nostra as the symbol of unifying and united Europe. With the arrival of new countries into the fold, a lot of work had to be done to show that Central Europe is something which is neither West nor East. Professor Purchla explains that even though there is greater awareness across Europe on cultural heritage, it is in the so-called East, where there needs to be more emphasis placed on the creation of civil society organizations dedicated to heritage protection. I used to always repeat at those annual meetings, up to now, 
emphasizing the meaning of the former West and former East, coming from the center. For the decades, there was no space for Central Europe. We've been deleted. So I have a vivid memory of the first uh, annual meeting of Europa Nostra at the eastern side of the former Iron Curtain, and it was Krakow in the mid of the 90s. And a kind of a discovery, not just of Krakow, but discovery of Central Europe and the proof that we are simply the same part of European civilization with the same history, with the same memory, with the heritage, which is quite comparable to the citizen places at the so-called Western side. But of course, it is still a gap. And this gap is resulted uh, by uh, the lesson of communism, our different experience, which means that looking at Europa Nostra, we are still lacking the appropriate uh, number of organizations from the so-called eastern side, the former eastern side, to be precise, representing civil society. It is, I understand, the challenge for us for the future. Civil society, which is so important and used to be so important, for example, in Poland in the era of Solidarność, to finish with the system, to finish with the regime, is quite dedicated to heritage and heritage protection concerning local communities, some even very small places, but it is still not well visible within Europa Nostra. And it is a big challenge, not just for us, concerning also the hub in Krakow, newly created, but it is a, a challenge for the whole organization. Cultural heritage surrounds us everywhere we go whether it be tangible or intangible. Today we can say that the awareness across Europe of cultural heritage is high, but it wasn't always like this, especially in terms of funding. And it certainly isn't always plain sailing either. Lydia Karas. An important moment in Europe and Austria's life um, was at some point there were a number of people, I think it was about... 30 years ago, something like that, who thought, okay, now Europe was doing well, and um, there was no need for Europa Nostra anymore. I mean, you know. And uh, my husband invited all the then leadership of Europa Nostra to a house in Athens, which is just under the Acropolis. And uh, they had a long discussion, and he really argued that Europa Nostra is important for Europe because, um, you know, Europe is not just finance and commerce, which is very important, but it's not just that. Europe, really what links the people of Europe is the strong and very diverse cultural heritage and the, the fact that we can teach our children to respect each other's cultural heritage. It's not just our own, but, for instance, I really do consider that, you know, the Acropolis, okay, is in Greece, but doesn't just belong to Greece, it belongs to the world. And so within Europe, we have a very strong cultural treasures, many cultural treasures, very, very diverse. Anyway, the end of that meeting, that crucial meeting, was they, <laughs> they changed their mind and they said, OK, let's give Europe and Nostra another chance. And I think since then, 
Europa Nostra has grown a lot, and one of a couple of its projects have become very important for Europe. I mean, like the project uh, for the awards, which was adopted by the European Union. It gives joy to so many people throughout Europe. You know that it's a nice competition. Different people win, different countries win, and then celebration in the country. And this really uh, brings forward the aspect of cultural heritage. Also, the most endangered is becoming quite an important project because we all have in our countries important either cultural or natural heritage which is at risk. And how nice to be able to present it at a European level without nationalism, but really say, help us, you know. That is a, a very important aspect of, of Europe, to support each other. And, and I must say, re, Greece, Europe has often supported us and uh, in a very beneficial way. I mean, something critical which was in danger and uh, we got European award and European support, and that was very important. The European Heritage Award was created in the late 1970s, and after Europa Nostra opened its offices close to the EU institutions in Brussels, the award really took on a life of its own. Sneska Kvedflich Mihailovich explains. We decided that we must have a present in Brussels. We have to be present there. We have to be continuously passing these messages to the very complex decision-making and the sort of institutional setup of the European Union. And so in 2010, we started building more this presence, so more dialogue with the European Parliament. And that was also coinciding by what was very important at the beginning in 2002, we managed to get the European Union to understand the importance of our award scheme. And it is in 2002 that an award scheme that we started organizing in 1978, but it was a sort of known in the heritage circle. From the moment that it became a joint initiative with the European Union and Europa Nostra, so it started the reputation and impact of that award starting growing. So now we are, uh, last year we celebrated the 20th anniversary of that partnership. And these awards were an extraordinary way to identify the best of the best and to identify best practices uh, and to celebrate them. So on one side to collect uh, like a sort of a golden book of best practices and on the other side to make recognition to applaud the ones who very often, against all odds, and gave all their life to achieve some projects, and to promote their power of example. So communication and dissemination of, of these best practices also is very important. The awards continue to be a main driver of Europa Nostra in terms of boosting the promotion and protection of cultural heritage across Europe. While this is all well and good, Andrula Vasiliu is keen that younger generations become more involved. I think this um, European Heritage Awards, which is spreading very fast and you can see the increase in applications every year from all over Europe, makes people aware of the importance of cultural heritage. What I think is necessary is to involve more young people and organize educational programs around the monuments so that young children and then young people 
take care of the monuments and be inspired by them for new creations. And this is what links the past to the present and to the future. Because relying on the past, we enjoy the presence and we create for the future generations. In this episode, we heard from Guy Klos, Jacek Purchla, Andrula Vasiliu, Lydia Karas, Luisella Pavan-Wolf, and Sneska Kvetflich Mihailovic. Check your podcast app or wherever you get your podcast to see the show notes and all references to this episode and to the series. I'm John Beecham. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced for Europa Nostra by Free Range Productions.